Welcome to the Donna Sebo Show. Donna is an international mental practitioner, psychic, award-winning author, counselor, speaker, teacher, and radio television talk show personality. She brings to the airwaves talented people from around the world who share their insights and experiences with you, the listening audience. Now, let's join Donna. Hello, good day, good evening to those of you around the globe. I'm so delighted that you're joining me. We're going to be discussing a subject matter today that affects people at one time or another. What is that? It is depression. This is something that I don't care who you are. I don't care what your age is. You're going to find that there are those moments that you feel that the world is just absolutely not worth being a part of. You're also going to feel like you've got, for all intents and purposes, brain fog. You can't seem to resolve anything. Well, this is something, again, that is part of life experience. However, if this is something that goes on where it is a patterning that you find you can't seem to get out of, Children don't seem to be bothered with this. It's we adults that get into this patterning. And it is a patterning many times that is self-induced. My guest today, Roland Griffith, has put together a publication, Find Peace, One Pop at a Time. Are you interested in that? I should hope so. Because I think the more we can become empowered about how we think, what we do, recognizing that we do have opportunity to make shifts. I think that that is extremely liberating. Roland Griffith, welcome to the show. Thank you, Donna. Good morning. I really good, good appreciate morning, good it. Good afternoon, wherever we are. I guess. That's right. It all depends. We have listeners yeah. all over the world, so their time zones are a heck of a lot different than mine, believe me. Right. Roland This is a publication that, when you put this together, basically, your wife suggested that you do this. You're in Kansas City, Kansas, and you are a man. You're very successful. You're an entrepreneur. You have achieved what would be considered the American dream. But life wasn't sweet and wonderful, was it? No, it, on the outside it sure looked like it, but on the inside uh, I had plenty of struggles for lots of years. When you decided to do this and your wife recommended that you do this, that you write your story, how did you feel about that? Well, <laughs> I couldn't imagine myself writing a book, first of all. And um, so, but. Uh, her encouragement helped a whole lot, and uh, she lived through uh, through my experience and, and saw the before and after, and and just you know continued to encourage me that to tell me you need to write a book. This needs to people need to hear about this. So, all right, now you again you attained the American dream. You're a very successful man. You have a family. But you went through a series of experiences that, well, why don't you tell the story? Why don't you talk about what it was that in, that was part of your life patterning and how this depression affected you? Because I know there are people listening saying, 
Uh, how, how can you even talk about this? So share your story about how it affected you and how you were able to hide it. Sure. Thanks, Donna. I, um, to go way back uh, at the start of my life, I was brought up in a very legalistic uh, background. Uh, my household, uh, all the emphasis was on church. And uh, from the cradle, uh, I was listening to a heavy dose of hellfire and damnation. And uh, so I think over the years, it uh, it had quite an effect on me uh, into my adult life because I think it uh, I had a lot of fear about God and um, growing up, and uh, my perception was God was mean. I mean, I just couldn't be perfect enough based on what I was hearing from the pulpit. So uh, I think it caused me to be kind of an introspective guy. And uh, so I have a little theory that goes like this. People that don't have a lot of support as a toddler in the toddler years probably become uh, a little bit more of a thinker than others. And uh, so, in a way, for me, that's how, how I think it affected me and uh, caused me to spend a little more time in my mind than the average person might. So, when we, when we spend, I didn't know all this back in those days, but when we spend time in our mind, uh, it's generally uh, not in the present. And uh, if it's in the future, when we listen to stories about the future, it's it's generally distorted and it creates fear and anxiety and so on. Or if the stories are about the past, uh, it brings about regret and remorse and anger and all those sorts of things. And so <laughs> living uh, on a roller coaster like that is, is basically, I think, what I did as, as I progressed through life. And uh, I think it's pretty common, to be honest with you. And uh, so that, to me, uh, depression, to me, my... Uh, to me, the cause is the tendency to go in and out of extended thought, and uh, that causes moodiness, which to me is the same thing as depression. So uh, that was the beginning of it for me. All right. Now, here you are. You are a male. This is, this is many years ago. You end up going to a therapist, and a therapist recommends that you read a book. And I found it so interesting that you said, I hadn't read a book, period. I had had a terrible time in high school. You talk about how you just really had a very difficult time in what I would call the educational process. Yet here you had accomplished so much as a business. And for a therapist to encourage you to read that created something that was a shift, and that was, I'll use the term, being mindful. In other words, when you read, you must pay attention to the printed word on the page. And that was a big aha for you, wasn't it? Was What was it that your therapist recommended that you read? Well, the book was, um, <clears throat> was it called... Um... Uh, Dr. David Burns, uh, Feeling Good is the name of the book. And he's, he sold millions of that book over the years, and it's still a great book. And, yes, I became so fascinated with it, I actually continued to read. And I kind of gobbled that book up, and it, it became my Bible, more or less, for a few years. And uh, 
So it's a book that talks a lot about cognitive therapy and how you can put your thoughts on paper and and, um, and you can um, you can find uh, the distortion in your thoughts and so on, and then you can find how to create rational responses and so on. But I actually was able to take a particular um, exercise in that book called the tri- triple column technique and and go through the little process and actually break myself out of a bad mood and I thought wow that's a, that's a miracle in itself and uh, so um, and at about that t- same time uh, they put me on pills they um, um, the psychologist moved me to a psychiatrist who said you know we think you need to be on medication and so that was the beginning of uh, 18 years of being on medications of antidepressants and mood stabilizers and so on. But I remember in that very first year in 1985 when I started reading that book and 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 performing that exercise and breaking free of a mood, I thought I had the thought if I can break free of a mood by writing something down, why why do I need pills? Mm-hmm. But I continued under direction to to stay on those for 18 years. But I'm so thankful that I had that thought because I think that is what gave me um, this kind of seed down inside that caused me to research for the next 18 years about depression. And I've I studied it to the max. And, and uh, I did that on the side in private as I ran my business and so on. But uh, um, So I'm thankful for having that thought. You went through a crisis. And you go into a great deal of detail on this crisis where you tried to commit suicide. And I will have to tell you, I was smiling while I was reading it, not because you wanted to commit suicide, but the fact that it didn't work. And that's what made me smile, because it was as if something bigger than you are said, sorry, this isn't. This isn't the appropriate time. You haven't gotten you haven't gotten to where you're supposed to be yet. And. Someone will need to get the book, because when you read through that entire process that you went through, you finally realized that, one, it wasn't working very well, and two, that you had an appointment. You had to keep an appointment, and that was most important to you, and that took you out of that modality of thought. This is something that is extraordinarily powerful. I want to ask you a question, Roland. Why do you think, now you were going to a therapist, why do you think the writing affected your thinking so powerfully? Now, uh, let me hear that one more time. Why did I... Why did you, why do you think that your writing about what you were going through made such a difference? Well, because uh, by writing down what your thoughts are, you have the uh, you have the ability to to look back on those and to um, sort of assimilate um, some some rationality to it all, and and to to recognize whether or not they are true. Uh, if those thoughts are are, are true, if, if are they true or are they lies or are they fictional, and so on. And you can't do that if you just follow your mind. Your mind plays tricks, and you can never you're, you can never come to truthful conclusions through 
messing with the mind and trying to listen to the mind because it'll take you in all kinds of directions. Um, and so it's it's a much more logical approach is to write down your thoughts if you're really in in a in a trouble spot. Now you in February of two thousand three, you had been doing a lot of reading, a lot of studying. Your wife was just surprised because one day you say to her, you know what, I think I've got a handle on this depression. And you said it was the first time it was gone in decades. It was like you had crystal clear vision. And she was thrilled because you had had this literally in your life from the time you were a young adult. But you said it didn't stay. What did you do? You're right about that. I had a morning uh, that uh, I'll never forget that was um, um, a lot of people call those kinds of things a shift in consciousness. I'll go with that. That's fine. Um, I've had a lot of different interpretations from different folks that have given me their spin Mm -hmm. on what they think it was. But it doesn't really matter to me what you might want to call it. But I did go into a period for about a year without a a bad mood, which was unheard of for me. And um, and then I started just feeling a a little moodiness starting to creep in. Uh, And uh, that kind of was alarming to me because I sure didn't want to go back there. I I was living such a contrast to my past life, and uh, I just didn't want to go there. And so I really... um, that particular summer, I skimmed through 300 books. Uh, I kind of got the meat out of the books uh, and kind of came up with what my formula is, which is uh, called POPs, where you can uh, interrupt that negative mental chatter, which I think is where it all comes from. And um, and once you kind of follow my method in the book, um, you can start to find daylight. You can start to find momentary uh, clarity where you might walk along and all of a sudden see, a be- see the beautiful shape of a tree that you've maybe out in your front yard that you've, it's been there, but you just now start to notice it. Or you might see the blue skies that you haven't noticed in the past. Or you hear the birds sing and things like that. And, and once you kind of follow this method, for possibly depends on the individual, two or three weeks, um, you might have those little periods of clarity and peace. And uh, that in itself becomes addictive. You kind of want to start slowing down that mind, and that's what the book's all about. I appreciated your commentary about how you felt you had become a prisoner of your own thinking. You said a prisoner of your mind. You felt you had developed the habit, and I concur with this. I think we're all guilty to this on one level or another. The habit of focusing only on problems. It didn't make any difference how much good was in your life because you're a businessman and there is that drive it's never enough it's never enough you got to do more you got to do more you got to do more and it's so easy to get stuck in that hamster's wheel of just constantly being in that spin 
you address the very thing that yogis of the past have tried to get across to people, and it's a very big challenge for most people. And this is something where you said your brain, you realize that you are always engaged in a story from the past or a fantasy about the future. This is something that really was a habit, and here you are changing that. This is quite an accomplishment. It really is. This is not something the term meaningful, uh, mindfulness really does apply to this, but this isn't something that just happens, is it? It took time for you to, you might say, rewire the hardwiring in your habit patterns. Exactly, yeah. It, 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 you're, you're starting up a new habit. <laughs> and uh, so it's uh, becoming aware of the mind activity. And uh, the longer you do this, the more you come to recognize, hey, listen, I'm here, but my mind is there. Or or you might all of a sudden drift into thought. You're driving down the road, and you're drifting into thought. And by doing this enough, you can catch it and say, whoops, there I go again, and uh, get back on track. So, but, um, yeah, it takes a, it, it's not work because it's actually more work to continue to listen to the mind. So it's, it's, um, it's just, um, following the little steps in my book and, and exercising it. I think if you do it for two, three weeks in a row, most people kind of get back, get on that track. Mm-hmm. Now, there are going to be people that will say, this is a bunch of hooey. And I think it, I know it is not for a fact, because mm-hmm. I know it's so easy. I've watched sometimes the thoughts that will go in my mind and the, what do I want to say, the Eastern philosophy is monkey mind. That is a usually a, a term, and that's because it's very difficult to shift out of that. It's just busy, 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 and when we look at everything that's going on, we don't take time to be quiet in this world of ours. We're not laying down in the grass during warm months and looking up at the clouds and counting mosquitoes or not doing anything at all. It's not common to the Western environment, is it? No, it's not. Most of us are lost in our mind most of the time. And I can include myself in that, you know. Um, and uh, but uh, I'm just not lost as much as I used to be. Let's put it that way. But uh, so you know, as you go through this, an important aspect of it too is to become aware that you are not your mind, and that uh, I am. I am a human being, but my mind is a tool. It's not my enemy. It's a tool that can be used in so many positive ways, but it also can uh, can take you in, in all the wrong directions if you don't understand that, that difference of who I am versus who, who my, what my mind is. There was, and you do have exercises in your book, and again, this isn't a big book. You don't make it extremely complicated, but you used golf. You love golf, and anybody that's in a sport, I don't care what the sport is, if you're going to be good at it, you have to have a focus. You have have to have a real concentration level. That is a must, and golf is something 
that you must pay attention to what you're doing. There's that little tiny white ball on this little itsy-bitsy stick called a tee, and you've got to take this club that's a good four feet long or whatever the length of it is, and you're supposed to whack that Hummer to go into some little hole down the road. That takes concentration. That's not something that's done automatically. Why did you find that this was such a helpful analogy to use in your explanation of calming the mind? Well, because um, changing your direction in anything can become discouraging because of something new. And so, to me, I use my golf analogy uh, about a time that I lost weight for the first time. I really used to be so discouraged about I would weigh in, and I'd be up two pounds, and then I'd be down two pounds. And so I just – and I was about 20-some pounds overweight, and uh, this is before I had my breakthrough. is back in about 1999, 2000, right in there. And so I was up in the 190s, and for me, I've always been – a pretty thin guy and I and usually around 170 and so on so and I was just to the panic place I, I didn't want to buy an all-new wardrobe and so uh, I decided if I could just find a way that I could lose weight at a tenth of a pound at some point in time I had googled the weight of a golf ball I knew that my golf bag would get heavy if I had too many golf balls that I didn't use in my bag and I'd have to clean them out every so often and that's how I got on that and golf balls a tenth, tenth of a pound and uh, so I thought if I could just do average weigh-ins and lose and keep keep a log of my average, and if I could start uh, losing one-tenth of a pound at a time, that would be easy to do, and it was, and I lost about 20 pounds. So uh, that, I use the same analogy in, in I have a little log in my book to ha- as to how you can measure uh, your time in the present on a daily basis. It sounds complicated, but it's pretty simple if you read the book. And, and so I, I base that on a tenth of a percent at a time gaining. Uh, so that, that's where that came from. I was fascinated with the statement you made that the only change in your diet was mental. Just what you've described. Doing something small. You did not decide that you were going to go on a starvation diet for two weeks and drop 20 pounds. You said, let me just do little things. Now, you did keep a log. And again, you've got a a wonderful layout in your book, and people can just take and copy the pages if they wanted to so that they could keep a log. You didn't make it complicated. You just said a little bit of something extra. And one of the things that you found is that maybe you wouldn't finish your meal or you would just cut down a portion of something. And that's really simple. But by logging it, you were able to recognize that you had done something and then your weight loss was gradual. It did not happen overnight. Right. This it is was one golf ball at a time. One golf ball at a time. You said uh-huh. you could see you were making progress, even if it was in small increments, staying present for a greater per- percentage of the time. That's huge. 
That is really, really huge. I think relative to that, we look at today's world and the percentage of obesity among people. And when I read various stories about different individuals and how they lost their 100 pounds or 50 pounds or something else, including some people that I work with, it's intriguing. Sometimes all it was was increasing their exercise. Or maybe deciding they wanted to change the times of day when they ate. But it was it was nothing really melodramatic. Now, you were able to give up all of your medications. How did your therapist respond to that when you said, I'm not taking them anymore? Well, first of all, when I walked in there, he was seeing me once a month. Um, I'd just sit down and talk with him for about 15 minutes, and then we would he would discuss whether or not to change, make any change in the medications and so on. And, and But when I walked in the first time after my breakthrough, he saw this spark in my eye, and he said, what the heck's going on? And so I explained to him what happened. And so then he went and started seeing me every two weeks instead of monthly, and we did that for a number of times, six, eight, ten times. And he said, you know what, I've, you are what I would call a walking miracle. In all my years, with all my experience, I've never had a client um, go through, you know, have this experience. And so he agreed with me, let's go off of them. But we, we did it on a very gradual basis, and uh, it worked out great. I've been off of them for, since uh, 2003 and uh, been a very happy camper ever since. So, Well, I think that's marvelous. I think that is absolutely marvelous, and it was your own initiative. When, when you talk to groups, Roland, this is something that you are happy to share with people. You've put this book together, Find Peace, One Pop at a Time. When people say... I don't believe this. This is too simple. What's your response to them? Well, why it sounds too simple is because most of us are have been fighting this kind of thing uh, off and on throughout our lives, and it, so it does seem unsurmountable. It does does seem like it's 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 at the top of a mountain you have to get to. But that's what my system is about. It's not going. I I think. Professional mountain climbers are smart enough that they don't look at the top of the mountain when they're climbing. They're looking at the next step ahead of them. And that's what my whole process is about, is, is taking tiny little steps a day. And in no time, you can look back. When you get discouraged, just look back where you started. Mm-hmm. And uh, by increasing this present time by tenths of a percent, a tenth of a percent a day is is a absolute gain in the right direction and it's it's a way to get motivated in a way to stay stay motivated motivated when you are giving your talks have you ever worked with a very young person we're living in an era where there's supposed to be instantaneous results. And those of us that have lived a little bit of time recognize that that's not the case. And you especially are in that modality. With a young person that says, I should be able to do something about this right away, they get very discouraged. How would you want to approach a younger individual regarding this because it is one step at a time it is one moment at a time you cannot look at 20 years from now and say gee was this you can have your aspirations but 
you're still in the present right now. You can have your dreams, but you're in the present right now. What would you say to a young person that expects everything to be instantaneous? Well, first of all, I would say, gosh, I wish when I was your age I understood this uh, because they sure don't teach this kind of thing in school. And um, But it, I'm finding out the sweet spot, the people that are most interested in listening to my messages are kind of mid-age, in the 40s, 50s, and so on, some of them going through their midlife crisis type, and, and they're really looking for this kind of thing. A lot of people that are college age and so on aren't aren't at that state yet where they're really looking for it. They're, 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 they are starting to find problems in life and so on. But uh, So I, I wish I knew. I don't have a lot of experience at, at speaking to children or even uh, college age kids. I, I'm hoping I get those opportunities down the line. But um, but I, I think it's very crucial for them to if they if they can learn that at an early age, uh, their life will be uh, marvelous compared to what most people go through. I agree, Roland Griffith. Your book, Find Peace, One Pop at a Time, moving from anxiety and pain to joy and hope. This is something that I think can assist people that are battling with conditions of illness, that are dealing with grief. I think dealing with the challenges, perhaps, of failure. I think the wisdom that you have in this little book, Find Peace, can really be extraordinarily powerful. But it is a one step at a time, a one day at a time. Sometimes it's one hour at a time. I really think that this is a great tool to share with other people. Roland Griffith, your website is your name, rolandgriffith.com. I want to thank you very much for being my guest today, and I wish you nothing but success. Thank you, Donna. It's been a great time. I appreciate it very much. It is my pleasure. Roland Griffith has been my guest. If you know of anyone that's going through a lot of difficulties, why don't you consider visiting his site? It's a good reference point, rolandgriffith.com.